After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast along with J.J. Cooper. I am John Manuel. I want to remind everybody that BaseballAmerica.com has plenty of books available for you in the holiday season. We've just put our almanac to bed. So that's uh, that one won't be ready, I wouldn't say necessarily by Christmas, but one book that is ready for the holiday season is our 2014 Great Parks calendar. And, uh, yeah, it's not necessarily a book, J.J., but it is book-like. I'm going to give you a little tease. Cashman Field is in this year's uh, Cashman Field is Mr. August. I don't know if I should say Ms. August for the Great Parks calendar. Are ball, ballparks a he or a she? I think cars are a she, but ballparks are, are a she. Um, ballparks, ballparks are not she. Are, uh, the baseball grounds of Jacksonville also made it into this year's calendar. Who are the other ten? You have to buy the Great Parks calendar to find out. But it's fourteen ninety five, a great holiday gift, and it's available either by calling 800-845-2726 or by ordering on ordering online at baseballamerica.com. JJ, we have a lot to talk about in today's podcast. Now, you and Matt Eddy are going to do the National League Central podcast draft style like you did the National League East podcast. But we're here to talk to wrap up the Arizona Fall League season to talk 40-man roster and Rule 5. Rule 5 Rule 5 slash dengue fever. Rule 5 syndrome. You've pro- you've progressed past fever to syndrome. And then uh, and, and if, I think we should start with the blockbuster trade. Because we just don't get too many of these. And the Tigers and the uh, Rangers, uh, you could almost call it a challenge trade. I think it was really more a case of... It's a contract trade. It's a contract trade, but it was contract for contract, and it was a fit trade. Um, The way these two teams are trying to make their players fit. What was your first impression when you saw the trade besides, oh my God, i got to call John? Actually, I tweeted, I think, like it just does stand out to me that these... In these insanely long first base contracts that we've seen a lot of recently. Yeah. We've seen a good number of them. Well, what we've seen with that is really it, it comes down to at about year, even in year three, there starts to be some of this buyer's remorse. Of, oh. you're, like the, you're like the old Japanese guy in, uh, well, in Inception, you know, filled with regret. Right. Well, you're looking at, at these deals where you, I think the other way you put it is just that the Tigers looked at this now, and this was true when they signed Prince Fielder, but they went, oh, how are we going to work this out? We've got Prince Fielder, Miguel Cabrera, and Victor, and Martinez. Victor Martinez. That's not going to work out long term. And not only that, but we can't lock all of our money into first base when we really want to re-sign Max Scherzer. I think, the thing, I think at the time they weren't sure if Max Scherzer was going to be that, that re-sign guy. I also think they thought in the short term it would be worth it if they won a World Series. And let's face it, they went into this year as the favorite. And they, I, I feel like they would have won the World Series. I think they would have beaten the Cardinals if they could have pulled that off against the Red Sox. And they, I thought they were the better team than the Red Sox, but they didn't get the big hit and couldn't get the big out and obviously lost that series. But, I mean, no, uh, that, that was, they, they, were, they were on the cusp of accomplishing their goal, in which case I think they also would have had – Maybe the financial push in their own mind to have kept that going for one more year, but I think that I think the I think the confluence of everything of Prince Fielder's comments at the end of that series of the way Miguel Cabrera's body wore down at the end of the regular season and that he wasn't 100 percent Prince Fielder not playing well in the postseason, all those things can made them think okay we got to move Prince Fielder. I'm just surprised that it was for Ian Kinsler. I mean I, I guess I thought if it would have been for anybody there. It would have been for the younger guy, Profar, and take on some other bad contract. Yeah, but I, from, I think what from it comes Texas. down to is, is that I don't think the Texas. I, 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 Maybe Texas could, wouldn't that, do it. Yeah. What it comes down to is Prince Fielder doesn't have much value on the trade market. As crazy that is to sound to say, but this deal is, establishes that because Ian Kinsler is a contract that 
it's not as a, you know as nightmarish looking. But it's four years versus seven is the big difference. But in in what the teams are going to spend on these two players over the next four years, it's pretty comparable. They're pretty even. Right, and, and then but the the Tigers had to kick in money right to make this work. That that's one thing I think a lot of fans are still having to kind of process. I know you know I do the Reds top thirty and all, and Brandon Phillips. There's rumors he's on the trade market, and fans keep asking. So can we get a number two starter for Brandon Phillips? A number three. Like, no, if you trade Brandon Phillips, you're getting out from under yeah. the money that you have left. If you do that, you could really look at that in many ways as you you did well. Yeah, you're basically trading him to get out from under his deal, and the flexibility that you get is better than any and, players or prospects even you might get back. And and Prince Fielder at this point. It's not that he's in the decline of his career or anything like that, but he was not as productive this past year. It does kind of, to me, it goes back to the whole, um, just the issues of uh, first base offense in the major leagues. I, none, none of the first basemen, are, other than Paul Goldschmidt, are hitting like old school first basemen. Very few are. I mean, Prince Fielder kind of did. But, but the I, first I, love, ba- I love the, the note that made, I saw the note that's like, and I, I'm mentioning this because, Daniel Novel is in the note, but it's like players who had a higher OPS than Prince Fielder in 2013, and Daniel Novel was one of them. I mean, it's... That's amazing. I mean, Prince Fielder, I think, does have value because he plays every day. He does. I think there is something to the fact that you had to, you had to treat Cabrera somewhat honestly because Prince Fielder was there. I'm fascinated to see what the Tigers can do now next how does how do you think to, to me the people from the baseball America perspective, this impacts the Tigers more than it impacts the Rangers, because it impacts Nick Castellanos and then the the fact that the Tigers have three uh, middle infielders among their top ten prospects other than Castellanos obviously not a middle infielder, Castellanos could play left field could move back to third base I think more likely that he will move back to third base, mm-hmm. and then it affects the fact that they have Suarez whose name I'm blanking on is Eugenio Suarez. Just, just added to their forty-man roster. Was in their top ten last year. Pretty nice looking prospect. Not a not a superstar by any stretch, but but I think there's a chance that he could be an everyday guy, and he could be an everyday guy at third base. That might be his best position. He might be. I don't think he has the bat for third, but defensively, that's where he profiles better. JJ. Right, but I, if he's a, if he's getting everyday at bats, if he's getting regular at bats at third base, that's not a in, frightening. But not in the major leagues. He didn't have a bad year last year. I think you're selling him short a little bit. I, I kind of like Eugenio Suarez. Uh, yeah, you you may like him a little bit more than I do. Then, if I uh, to me, if he's not playing in the middle, um, well, it sounds like he's a step slow for short. Just no, just I, from I a foot that, speed. But, but if he's not playing in the, you know, if he's, I just don't think that he has a nearly enough power and or the above average hit tool. Like you trade that off, you say, okay, the guy's going to hit, you know, three hundred, post a three sixty, three seventy on base. You take that in a and you don't get the power. I don't think he gives you either of those. I see a guy who's had 60 walks this past year, 21 years old in double-A, and had 45 to 50 extra base hits. That's a pretty good mix. I, I like I like you, Suarez. I think you're selling him short. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure he's got – I mean, I, I like him. I, I think he's – you'd like that much better in the middle. But this is not a Judy. This no. guy has some fun. Oh, yeah. And he had 60 walks this year, 65 the year, the year before, career 363 on base. There's a lot to like, I think, about Eugenio Suarez. I, I, I like him. I like him quite a bit, actually. I think he's one of the stealthier prospects out there. I like him better than Hernan Perez. I don't like him better than Dean, uh, than Devin Travis, one of my cheese balls. But those are the guys that affects the most because if they keep Ian Kinsler at second base, uh, then those guys are a little bit frozen. And, but and I think it's and, more and likely. This is going to be the shortstop for a while now. Correct. Which he, is he? Even if he hit. The best way to put it is, is even if he has significant regression next year and ends up being a a, a 220-230 hitter, they're, they're, he's played defensively, he's been good enough, and he hit enough this year that they're going to be some patience to see if he can get that back. Yeah, so to me, those are the guys that you know are, are, are the most affected negatively, but at the same time, uh, does give the Tigers some options. And if you're, you know, they also have Dixon Machado, who I'm not a big believer in, but is a shortstop. Has some defensive chops. Even was in the fall league this year. They have there's four prospects I just mentioned: Machado, Travis, Hernan Perez, and Eugenio Suarez in the middle of the diamond. And in that's an organization that doesn't have a whole lot of right. Prospects. So, so if you and that's an organization also that has Iglesias, who's a young regular, is going to be your shortstop, 
and now you just traded for Kinsler. So if Kinsler's still their second baseman, if their valuation is Ian Kinsler's our second baseman for the next at least two years, that gives them some trade chips. Mm-hmm. So you're probably never going to have more value than Devin Travis has now, the fact that he just hit 350 over a full season. Uh, he didn't have a great fall league. I thought he was kind of gassed. But I, th- I think that as everyone else has already said about this, this is not the last shoe to drop in Detroit. But if they need to make a trade, I think those four middle infield prospects we just mentioned would be one or two of those guys would be involved in a future trade. I don't think this really, from a prospect standpoint, JJ affects the Rangers really very much at all. Uh, so far, the only way, well, a couple things. One, okay, this does mean the end probably of the long rumored. Well, why don't the uh, Cardinals and Rangers get together and just swap Profar for Tavares? Right now, we can make that. Well, why don't the Cardinals and Rangers get together and swap Luis Sardinas for? Uh, yeah. um, who would be Mike uh, O'Neill? No, I, I love Mike O'Neill, but no. I know you love Mike O'Neill, but nobody loves him that much. No, not that much. Uh, Luis Sardinas for. Kevin, I'm not, Kevin Seagrest did enough. Stephen Piscani. I don't think that fit. I think you'd want. If you're calling, if you're trying with the Cardinals, you're asking for arms. If you're not getting. Certainly, I thought you were. Looking, I thought you were still looking for a outfield. Uh, you know, the, the, the Rangers don't have a ton of outfielders, but their infield looks mighty good. JJ with fielder, well, Profar, Andrews, Beltre. If that's what they're going to go with. And the other thing is, is that the Rangers still have a surplus in the middle infield. And I'm not talking... They do. I'm not even talking about guys who are like an A-ball or something. Yeah, Sardinius and Odor. Odor is... Name me two better second-base prospects. And second-base, admittedly, a lot of second-base prospects are playing shortstop. But two better second-base prospects. He's probably the best guy. Yeah, he's probably the best guy. Combination of savvy, offensive ability, solid athleticism, and polish. The the best way I can put it is is compare him to... uh, Colton Wong, who's the Cardinals' second I'd take, I'd take Odor. I'd take Odor. It's not even close. I mean, like, I just think he's much more physical than... I think Wong... Wong and maybe you may even have a little bit safer bet because he has actually played in the big leagues and yeah, all that. I like Wong. I mean, he's just a different profile because right. speed is more a part of it, whereas Rugnett Odor, to me, is just kind of like a... I don't know if he's... I don't know where he profiles in the batting order, but that guy's going to hit, you know. Oh, yeah. Seems like it's going to be like a kind of a Placido Polanco kind of career with maybe a little bit well, more power. But the thing you like this for the Rangers, uh, I think not on the prospects, but just overall. And this may cost them down the road because now they have the last seven years. To and it's a backloaded contract, and, by the way. Right. I mean, it, it but gets, they're getting some money back, right. which will help that a little bit. But if you said where have the Rangers been really lacking for years now, it felt, it's always felt like first base. I know Mitch right. always been a little bit better than maybe everyone gives him credit for. At the same time... Mitch Moreland has never been an above average. No, that, that's fair, and they're off. You know, I, I, I also, you know, Prince Fielder is going from a tough home run park to a Dude. park that's very favorable, and he's going to a park that's where the right field is modeled on the old Tiger Stadium. So that should look familiar to him, considering he used to hit balls into the upper deck at the old Tiger Stadium when he was twelve. So this should be good for Prince. Prince always makes me feel old. I interviewed Prince when he was fourteen, I guess. When we did our first baseball for the ages, I think he was 14. And Have you ever seen the picture of that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he makes Dan Vogelbach look skinny in that picture. So, Dan Vogelbach, fat joke of the day. I'm, I do at least one every day, it seems like. So. Sorry, Dan. Yeah, it really isn't nice. Um, but anyhow. Um, but it was a fascinating trade. Even the contracts are certainly the motivator. Uh, I, was, I was impressed by the fact that baseball kind of won the day that day. Um, of course, part yeah, of it was A-Rod. Baseball already won the day because it was the 40-man roster deadline day. And that's the other segue, J.J. That it, it was really uh, really not nice and just classic A-Rod to steal the attention of 40-man roster decision day. I would say one of the more poignant parts of 40-man roster decision day was the Twitter feed of players I knew who did not get protected. They didn't tweet about it, but I DM'd with a couple of them. And, yeah, they knew what a big day it was. And the ones who weren't protected... That's always a bitter day for those guys. It's always a difficult day because it's a day when the organization officially tells you, I don't think you're valuable. I don't think you're worth much to me. It, uh, it, that's not entirely, that's mostly true. There's also the sometimes reaction the other way, which is freedom. Right, exactly. There is, that, there yes. is, there's a certain amount of, depending on the player, depending on the situation he is in, there is sometimes that hope, hey, this is going to give me a chance to get picked in the Rule 5, which sounds great to me. 
Yeah, I think some of these guys know they're not going to get picked. <laughs> so, um, and I also love it when a team trades a guy who needs to be 40-man protected for a non-40-man protected. The D-Nana trade fascinated me just for that and that alone because really, why are the Yankees picking up D-Nana? They had kind of a 40-man roster crunch themselves, They had, they had a bigger crunch than... I, I would say that the two teams who had the biggest crunch were the Yankees who... we Before, when we were doing our preview, our 40-man roster preview, it was clear the Yankees were going to have to leave guys unprotected who aren't not necessarily slam dunks to be picked. Useful players. But useful players who very have a, a decent likelihood of being picked. You have that, and then you have the Cubs, who were a little closer to the you know, to the to the forty already. Yep. So they only protected two guys, and that left a couple of guys. So again, the the thing with this is I love the rule five draft <laughs> too much, but it is worth remembering for everyone to kind of thinking about this. Last year I think when it was all said and done, you could say five guys stuck. So leaving a guy off the 40-man, even if he gets picked in the Rule 5, doesn't necessarily mean that you've lost that guy from your organization right. forever. The, the, there were five guys, really, after you got past, like, pick four. And only one position player who stuck, and that was a first baseman in Nate Fryman. Mm-hmm. And that's unusual, JJ, because usually the guys who stick... Or like I think of the guy that the uh, Phillies had, the Mike Martinez guy, mm-hmm. who they kept, but then they held on to him for a couple of years. As uh, and he was like a 25th man. Um, or I always think of uh, this is a long time ago, but there was a one year where the Cardinals had Miguel Mejia, an outfielder who they drafted from high class A, and they carried him all year as a pinch runner. He never went, and he never turned in anything, but he was a pinch runner that's... defensive replacement. That's the old template. It seems like now Nate Fryman sticking was a sign of the lack of power in the game, and what teams will do to get power, and also a sign of Oakland um, being open to platoons, so they had a basically a platoon at first base, so Nate Fryman was drafted to be a cheap platoon partner for uh, Brandon Moss, and it worked for them. I do think that one of the things that we're seeing now is, is I think teams are backing a little bit more away from, it used to be the template very much was, the Latin, especially the Latin shortstop, who is eligible for this? We talked about this in SBA a couple weeks ago. Who's eligible for this because can't it is no, it's made, but because he's made eligible at a time when ah. the U.S. college player is in year one of his pro career. Right. If you are a 16 year old when you sign, you're going to hit being eligible at 21, 22, whereas the U.S. college player, if he's drafted at age 21, is going to be eligible at age 25, 26. That's a, that's a big difference. That is a big difference. I can't believe, by the way, that we have video. <laughs> we have five guys' video in our Rule 5 preview. I did not <laughs> anticipate that when I opened this file. So, yes, video. Of, but it is. we also, also JJ, I would say most years in the Rule 5, there's like a run on one team's players. Last year, I think it was a couple of Indians who got drafted. Um, I remember, of course, the famously was the one year where the Pirates had a bad farm system, only protected like 35 guys, and then got like four guys picked. One of them, I guess the one who got picked who was the most significant player was uh, Chris Shelton, if memory serves. Mm-hmm. But Obviously, the Tigers went crazy yeah, drafting Rule 5. That's right. They, well, they went, 100, they went 43 and 119, and Chris Shelton and Will Ledesma both uh, were on the 40-man roster and, all year. And to Will Ledesma's credit... Uh, he stuck around. He's, that, that, he well, might have a pension out of it. But what I'll say, though, is, is that I, I do think one thing that's happened is, is that... Teams are a little less likely to follow that template now yeah. of the Class A shortstop who has the defensive chops to actually handle the position as a backup. Everett Cabrera being the exception, right. exception. one of the more successful exceptions but lately. The problem to this being that so many of these guys, it's like even if you carry them for that year, what by carrying them for that year and giving them 100 at-bats or, or less, it really retards their development so far that they can never catch up. Right. No, you're right. It does retard their development. I I do think that's a little less true of the other big template, which is take the Class A or the guy who just made it up to Double A hard-throwing pitcher who has his controls a little iffy. Like Reiner Cruz. Right. Those (laughs) guys still get picked because there is at least some role that you can find for those guys, especially, you know, Especially if you say, okay, look, we're going to get 25 to 40 innings out of them this year. 
And then, with a guy, especially with a starter moving to the pen, that guy, maybe he, he actually proves to you he's actually ready to help in some way. Just throw here. We're going to simplify you down to two pitches. Exactly. Just air it out, and, and let's see how it works. That's why TJ McFarlane, one of the guys who stuck last year, was such an exception to that rule. He was actually a starting pitcher with AAA experience who had a very low ceiling, but I thought a decently high floor, and wound up sticking in Baltimore, which was exactly the situation where I, I thought it was ideally for him because he was a ground ball left-hander with Manny Machado and J.J. Hardy on the left side of the infield, and it, it wound up working out. He stuck all year in a long relief rule. That's the new template to me. Yeah. Is, is the new template out there, the third template. We Really, we, we talked about this in our preview that's up at BaseballAmerica.com right now, is, okay, so you've got the power-hitting, a reasonably polished first baseman who's got some limitations, First baseman, corner outfielder, who you can platoon. That's a guy to, you know that to look for. Then there's the the middle infielder or center fielder who's probably not ready to you know at the plate, but can run, can play defense, so yep. he can he can he can add some value to you as a 25th man. An Ender Inciarte type, right? And then, uh, but the new one that we're also seeing is is you know, and we talked about the the hard throwing guy who you yeah. put in the pen. And you just see, you know, hey, does he develop in something? But I do think that the new template we're seeing is like guys like McFarland, or we, we've talked about a couple, uh, Boone Whiting in this year's draft very well, maybe a Cardinals guy, is, is fits this. The guy who really you, you draft him in the Rule 5 with the idea, hey, we bring him to camp, and if, if you're a little thin on pitching, a guy who already has had success at AAA, doesn't have blow-you-away stuff, right. but you say, we're going to bring him to camp, and he's going to compete for the fifth starter job right. or the long relief job. And the real selling point for this guy, more than anything else, is is that if he wins the job and he's even adequate, you're paying a major league minimum. Where we see now the free agent market. Yeah, finding that kind of guy in the major league free agent is a two million dollar minimum just for like a guy who has any big league time. And you're just looking at a Jason Vargas, who is a veteran. Back of the rotation guy, I just got eight million dollars a year over four well, years for the Kansas City Royals. Your investment on I'm looking. I'm I'm going to give a little free advice right here. I'm talking to the 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 Angel, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. They should look long and hard at Boone Whiting. Here's a major league team that really struggled just having replacement level back of the rotation and they starters. Pay big money for Jason Vargas <laughs> for Joe Blanton, who was sub replacement. Exactly. Exactly. This is a team that does not have a lot of pitching in its own farm system. Uh, there's just there's no one standing in this guy's way. And I'm looking at their 40-man roster right now, J.J. It's all back of the bullpen types. Corey Rasmus, Nick Mirande, Michael Cohn, Con, Con, Rob Carson, Josh Wall. Dane De La Rosa. They have Matt Shoemaker on their 40-man roster. Boone Whiting is a younger version of Matt Shoemaker. He's a fly ball pitcher. Anaheim, the Big A, whatever they call it now, Angel Stadium, is a forgiving ballpark for mm-hmm. fly ball pitchers. They should give Boone Whiting a long, hard look in the Rule 5. He doesn't have great stuff, but it's three average pitches, nine strikeouts per nine innings in the minor leagues, pretty good track record. I, this is the kind of team that they need. Hey, look, if they're going to be a playoff team, it's going to be – if they get to the playoffs, say they have a good year, say Pujols comes back healthy, he's old Pujols or reasonable facility. Exactly. It's conceivable as bad as they were, but their pitching needs a significant upgrade. But if they get in the playoffs, it's going to be Jared Weaver and C.J. Wilson who are starting two of the games. And I don't know who's their number three starter, J.J. Garrett Richard, Garrett Richards maybe. Kev, uh, what's his name? Uh, Tommy Hansen uh, uh, revitalized. Oh, Jerome okay. Williams. I mean, it's it's a thin pitching staff. You're not drafting Boone Whiting or someone like him in the Rule Five draft to be a playoff starter. You're drafting him to give you. 25, and this is sad. They shouldn't have to go to the Rule 5 draft, but they need to Rule 5 a starting pitcher because they may as well spend $50,000 to try to acquire someone who's better than Joe Blanton was. And the best way to put it is is it's it's a $25,000 risk. Yeah. In baseball terms at this point, it really is kind of something that's laughable that they have never upped that. That is laughable. It is. $25,000 for baseball teams when it comes to player acquisition is what you find. Oh, wait, we found this in the cushions. 
you know, we, we pretty were, much we were going to make a run to the border. That's, and we, that's you know, barely like an area. Taco Bell, and we, you know, that's we barely like, up a starting pitcher along the way. I mean, when you count benefits, that's probably like an area scout's salary and benefits. Maybe a little bit. You know, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, talking, I'm talking about benefits. Yeah, the fifty thousand. Oh, twenty five thousand is like I'm saying because you offer no. the guy back, you either get to keep him. That's like an intern who you're you're making a job for him in baseball ops. You know, if, I mean, you're either gonna you're either you know twenty five thousand, you pay fifty, but you can either offer him back and you either get to keep the guy or you you know you get twenty five thousand of your fifty back. Yeah, this is a team that uh, yeah they need they need starting pitching. They gave Billy Buckner a couple of starts last year. I mean, Joe Blanton's season is they, the one that you They gave Barry Enright two starts. Enright full? I can't believe they Joe gave Barry Enright. Let me see if I can do a 2-14. and 14. Yeah, that's right. 2-14. and 5.26. But kill the win. No, 6.04. So excited. Like how about 180 hits allowed in 13, 132 in the two-thirds okay. innings? So we'll, we'll stop reading stat lines to you. and. Uh, but Joe Blanton, he was bad. Okay. I, I think Boone Whiting could be some, as good. I do think there are also, though, there are some some intriguing guys. I'm sure we'll come up with a couple more as we in the lead-up for uh, the Rule 5 draft, December 12th. That being said, I, I think we have a number of guys, if you look at our Rule 5 preview right now. Marcus Hatley, uh, Cubs right-hander, who's got a, 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 a av- above-average fastball. Maybe you want to say just a, a, you know, maybe you want to give it a 55 instead of a, a 60. But it's at least, uh, I mean, it's it's solid velocity. Decent, you know, decent secondary stuff has had success at, uh, you know, upper levels. It's having success this winter in Mexico, where I'm sure that, that that's one of the things that, that happens with this now is, is okay, the, the Rule 5 rosters get set, and now at this point there's a good number of pro scouts who start, uh, uh, you know, hitting the road to go to the Dominican or Mexico or yeah, Puerto Rico to because you want to take a look at these guys. They've been home for a week from the fall league, and they, they got a week or two at home, and, and now they're back on the road. And, and because the one of I mean the reality is is that there aren't that many Rule Five great finds like there used to be because a couple of years ago they changed the rules and essentially added one year of protection for everyone. Well, with that, in the first year of that, before teams really kind of figured it out, it seems like you, you had Joaquin Soria. You know, you had guys like Joaquin Soria. Joaquin Soria was found for the Rule Five really. In the in in the Mexican yeah Mexican specifically yep that's where he went from being oh, you know that's a guy worth keeping an eye on to okay no this is someone you really want to get in the uh, and and to me I don't know if there's I don't know how long it's going to be before we have another guy at that level because it is really harder to it would have to be a similar story JJ someone who's a Latin American pitcher or you know that 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 template's a tough one to find. The but guy I mean, who's been find pitching. it. Yeah, the, the, the greatest the greatest success stories in the Rule Five draft in the last 15, 20 years are almost always pitchers. Pitch. You know, Josh Hamilton is a is a very rare example in that. Okay, yes, you can have the number one pick in the draft who pretty much was a lost career because of uh, you know addiction problems, and then he comes back. That's we we'll, we'll we'll save that in the back you know the back pocket to see if that ever happens again. But Joaquin Soria, Johan Santana, the the model is is the guy who either has had some injuries and that's why you haven't seen him that much, or he's been you know he just got up to low A and you're willing to kind of sit and, and hold on to him and, and and hope it turns into something. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of you know viable position players even in the last 15 years who've been. Everett Cabrera. Uh, Everett Cabrera is one of the best ones. Scott Pasednik was a major league Rule Five pick, but most of the time, JJ, the success story. And Dwayne Wise is a Rule Major League Rule Five pick, but most of these guys have been the, the success stories are for the most part pitchers. So I, I do think, like you said, you have uh, Winter Ball is a great place to to find some of these players uh, on our list. And it's a, it's a free story at BaseballAmerica.com. Who's Who's uh, who's your pick to click? Mark, you know, last I, year, T.J. McFarlane was my most likely guy. I was very fortunate that I got that one right. Who's who's, I, who's your guy? I, I would be surprised if Marcus, Marcus Hatley's not taken. Yeah, that I, means I, I can think of some other guys, but if you said who am I most confident on, probably Marcus Hatley. I, I could come up with a couple more guys who I feel there are a lot of guys on those. We list twenty. Yeah. There aren't going to be twenty guys taken. You know, you, you you cast a wide net to kind of try to you know make and we. We don't even know right now. We haven't even, you know, seen a, a full list of, of who else, 
maybe we missed a guy or two who is eligible because it is tough when you're going through. It's like, oh, wait, I forgot. That guy was hurt all last year. He was eligible last year's draft. He was hurt too, and now he's pitching. He's pitching well or something like that. Of course, the other obvious name I'm forgetting here is Jose Batista was a Rule 5 draft. Went through four different teams and that in the course of being Rule 5. He's also the rare case of a player where all those roster machinations did not negatively affect his career necessarily, but it may have been a factor in delaying uh, you know, it took a long time for him to be. Right, I mean, he was Jose Batista. Batista at that point. We got a couple of um, <laughs> we got a couple of uh, Twitter questions. Uh, one of them, uh, two of them are related here. One is uh, see the Braves doing anything, and the related question is what team does Dayton Moore become scouting director of next year? That's that that that's a, a, a Royals fan who's embittered by uh, yeah, by, by the, the Vargas the, signing. The Jason Vargas signing, but at the same time. What really to me, what the Jason Vargas signing signing is a reminder of is that free well, agency Chen's pretty much free agent. well every when a guy signs a free agent contract at this point, there's so much money in the game that it's almost and I'm not saying this one's not four years is uh, is somewhat egregious to me. You know, it seems like a little long, but we are really at the point where every free agent contract you hear it and you go what. And that's been going on for um, for a couple of years now. The Prince Fielder contract, the Albert Pujols contract. There are a lot of contracts where you go, whoa. Yeah, there are a lot of those, but I mean, that's a... The, the, I think the four years for Jason Vargas is a very legitimate question to ask. The money part is one thing. The money right? part is actually... It, that's almost the price you pay for if you think he's going to be a back-of-the-rotation starter. Yeah, exactly. So that's the going rate for a starting pitcher. Um, one of these Twitter questions to me is, one, is actually one of my... I, I should have written them up, but I didn't. Uh, Derek Harvey at Second HS asks Brooks Hall seems like a curious choice. Any thoughts on what the Brewers might see in him? I actually do like Brooks Hall. Brooks Hall was a big time guy out of high school in South Carolina, and he is a late bloomer, a late developer. I will admit that I have a family tie to him. He's a second cousin of my cousin, so he's a second cousin of a second cousin is what he is. So um, Does that make him a fourth cousin? Of something like that. I mean, I, I think uh, if I think that if uh, if I had a, a, an unmarried sister, I think they they could get married and it would be okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to use to use the old world uh, definition of such things, but yeah, um, Brooks Hall is a guy who long tossed in high school and wasn't allowed to long toss when he first got to the Brewers. So this sounds like a podcast from two thousand nine. <laughs> But um, you, you, if but, you go back, we everyone every podcast we've ever done is still on our iTunes account. Yeah. If you go back uh, and just pick a random podcast from 2009, I, I think you probably will get John talking about this. You will. But Brooks Hall has taken him a couple years. First of all, he hardly pitched in high school. He was more of a third baseman and only was a reliever. He didn't become a starter till his high school senior year. I think the combination of different throwing program, different workload, becoming an everyday pitcher. It's taken him a long time to get into a starting pitcher's routine, but he's got good size, he's got arm strength, he's got natural sink. When he finishes his stuff, when he finishes out front, he's got 90, 93 mile an hour velocity on the fastball. He's got sink in life. I don't think he's a front of the rotation guy, but I like Brooks Hall. So the Brewers don't have a great track record for developing pitchers. They know it. Brooks Hall, to me, is a, he's probably going to be in the back of their top 30. I, I like Brooks Hall. He's 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 a he's a cheese ball for sure. He's definitely one of my guys that he's a guy that I I check his box scores. I check his stat line three or four times a year unless he because he he hasn't seemed to come up ever JJ in any discussions. One of the things that happened when doing the uh, the Rule Five, uh, you know, the forty man preview, especially go leading up to the forty man roster deadline. Now that was a labor of love. It was a labor of love. It was fun, but it was. It was like it, it was, it was a labor. point at midnight where I was going, "Why am I doing this? <laughs> I need to get it done tonight." Um, but um, one of the things that stand out is is that we that our listing has less guys as likely protections than got protected, and the reason for that is is that there's no they don't give you any rewards for stopping at 37 right. when you can go to 40. Now the there is a downside if you if you protect your way to forty or thirty nine, so you have a spot in a Rule Five pick, and then you you know down the road you sign a free agent or two, you're gonna have to clear guys off, and maybe and that guy can then get picked up and not face the same restrictions of Rule Five. You got to carry right. on the major league roster, all that. Right. So you don't want to go too far, but if you got two, 32, 33 guys on your forty man, and you know okay, we're probably not gonna sign more than two or three guys that we have to add during the off season. 
protect a guy if you, you know, be overly cautious on protecting And, of course, there's no penalty afterwards, as the Blue Jays demonstrated last year. There's no penalty for cycling through and churning your 40-man roster. There's a penalty in terms of karma, I think. Like, I thought that was bad karma to just kind of treat those players who were human beings as non-human beings and cycle through and get guys' hopes up and then dash and then hoped and then dashed. And I don't think that worked very well for the Blue Jays. I don't think it helped their major league team last year. I don't think it hurt them. I think karmically it wasn't very good for Toronto, but um, but, but yeah, I, you you I, I'm with you. Uh, I, you know, the year that uh, Theo Epstein I've told this story a million times, probably on many podcasts. But the year Theo Epstein first became forty man roster, first became general manager, one of his first things to do in November of '02 was set a forty man roster. And the Red Sox back in those days, twenty eight. Back in those days, we used a thing called a facsimile machine. <laughs> And the facsimile came in over the... It kind of got printed out. No, anyway. Back, it was, back, back in the days before Twitter, where the, really we had to... The great thing about now, it now just comes in. Like, yeah. Now, oh, here's the, here's the guy that's been set. Back then it was like, we've got to track down what every team Yeah, we had, to, we had to call every team and ask them to fax as our 40-man roster, their 40-man roster, and we would type them in. And uh, the Red Sox came in at 28, and I said, hey, you know... This guy's a 28-year-old. I believe it was 28-year-old general manager. I bet he uses email. I'll just email him. The fangled email thing. So I emailed and said, Mr. Epstein, uh, congratulations on the new gig. Just wanted to double-check. We got your 40-man roster in. and only had 28 guys. want to make sure this is the final 40-man roster. And he instantly emailed back, who needs more than 28? No, I think it just was, who needs 40? So I, that's a better joke anyway. So who needs 40 was the, uh, so they were at 28. That was a thin organization. Today, if you have prospects, and if you're not going to go on some giant free agent shopping spree, I agree with you. It makes sense to get as close to 40 as you can. And I, I would protect as opposed to not protect. Especially because right now, this is the time where teams are most likely also to poach. If you put a guy right now, there's roster room right now. Right. If you see a guy come on waivers and you like him, right now it's not a problem. You get to the last week so of when Ryan spring. Jackson, when Ryan Jackson gets outrighted by the Cardinals, he gets snapped up. Right. When you get to the last week of spring training, and everyone's, you know, there's a lot less room at that point. If you're saying, I'm going to carry him, and we may have to outright him the last week of spring training, a lot more chance that he's going to slide right on through, and you can put him on your AAA team at that point. JJ, we, I, I glanced over this before. Do you see the Braves doing anything? The real C. Sewell asks... See the Braves doing anything, and this is again a team that, after losing Tim Hudson, there's some. They have some depth issues. They have depth issues in the infield. Um, they have depth issues with their starting pitching. I count six starting pitchers on their 40-man roster: Brandon Beachy, David Hale, uh, Chris Medlin, Mikey Miner, Julio Tehran, Alex Wood. That's pretty much it. And those are all very young guys. And and they don't have. I mean, Alex Wood be- and David Hale have never done a full season of the big leagues as a starter. Go beyond that, like. Non forty man guys, there aren't. Uh, yeah, in the Sean upper levels, Martin. exactly. Mm-hmm. So there's, mm-hmm. they don't have a lot of insurance. They only have two catchers in the forty man. One of whom is Christian Betancourt, who's never played above Double A. They have technically three because one of them showing up. Yeah, Evan Gaddis. I don't know if I'm going to count him as a catcher, but they have some needs. JJ, do you see the Braves doing anything in the Rule Five? I mean, they've their pro scouting department. I think we regard fairly highly. They've had some really nice waiver claims, especially. I, I, I was going to say, I'm, I'm going to talk about the move they've already made. Um, that uh, It's kind of a deep cut, but this is really uh, right up Matt Addy's alley. The minor league free agent uh, you know, portion of it. Okay. Luis Vasquez, who they just added to their 40-man roster. He so fits the profile. We've written about this in SBA as well. Yeah. How the Braves do a great job of building a bullpen inexpensively. It's not that they go out there and they sign a big money closer to make it all work. They have a they've got one of those. Craig Kimbrell's really, really, really good. Right. But the thing that they've done in addition to that is they've also they've got they always seem to find that guy who can pitch the seventh. And Luis Vasquez, who doesn't, you know, is is an under the radar guy, but he's pitched well and he's got good stuff and he's pitched well in upper levels. He th- almost the fact that the Braves picked him and put him on their forty man. Yeah, leads me to think Luis Vasquez is going to pitch some quality innings for them this year. It does. That's their recent track record. You kind of give them the benefit I, I, of the doubt. It's I almost like I almost put uh, 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 Low uh, for yeah. Mark Low. I almost oh, okay. put Mark Low on the Rule Five. You know, list because he was signed recently to a minor league deal by the Rays, not protected on the forty man, 
Hmm. The fact that, again, talk about another team who knows how to build bullpens. Yes. The fact that the Rays signed Mark Lowe to a minor league deal by itself makes me look at it and say, you know, that he, he probably has a pretty good chance of actually being helpful at some point, useful it's at some like, point. It's like in college basketball recruiting. When a guy gets commits to Duke, it's almost like you say, well, wait a minute, I thought he was a three-star guy, but you're going to bump up to a four. Kansas, North Carolina, mm-hmm. couldn't give Duke all the props. But, but yes, in these recruiting services, almost like they give a guy an extra star depending on what school he committed well, to. Well, if you're a reliever and the Braves or the Rays, that, those are two teams that I'm, I'm pretty, pretty interested in saying, okay, you probably are going to, you know, they probably know what they're doing on that guy. Another team, JJ, that's done very well in the Rule 5 draft of late, uh, the last two, two years under Dan Duquette, is the Baltimore Orioles. They are two for two in Rule Ryan 5 picks. Flaherty Ryan Flaherty and TJ McFarlane both stuck. Neither one of these are great players, but they're good role players. Flaherty hit 10 home runs this year, was one of their better bench players. Um, is there an obvious guy I mean, out of these top 20 guys that you mentioned, or can you see a guy who would be a fit for the Orioles? They're like a, both of those guys are more advanced. Guys with triple-A time. I mean, Marcus Hatley fits that, but were there yeah. other guys with triple-A time who you could see um, you know, being popped by, say, a team like the Orioles that have been pretty active lately? That, I haven't been able to get to kind of the fits. The only fit you know, that we've kind of gotten to already is, hey, Carlos Perez and the White Sox seem to fit pretty well. Right. At least reasonably well. I'm actually not sure if it's a complete fit in the standpoint of they already do have two young catchers who, barring injury, they're probably going to want to carry both of. And really, as a catcher, the reality is, is if you carried as a catcher, and Carlos Perez fits this, you better be a guy who they're, you're, they're comfortable saying you can be the backup catcher now. Right. They're not, they're not carrying you as a third catcher. I can't give you a name of a third catcher Rule 5. Uh, yeah, I can't imagine the that. Best, the best guys. catcher to be taken to the Rule 5 in, I would say, many a year going back is Jesus Flores. Right. Who stuck with the Nationals. But that was because the Nationals said, no, we feel comfortable. He may not hit, but we feel comfortable he can be our backup catcher. Yeah, I, that's a good example. And, and, of course, that was a kind of a, I mean, he was a top 10 prospect in the Mets system who was lost that way. So, um, And that's I, one of the last yeah, – we've had – Non forty man roster guys be in top tens before guys who weren't protected, and Flores was one. He got popped. Jay Gibbons was one. I remember he got popped. We did it for Steven Souza before the forty mans were set, and Steven Souza was an easy protect. He got added to the. Turned out to be a very easy protection uh, choice, and a guy. Who had no, a really there nice... are guys like uh, along those lines. Junior Arias is a uh, is you know, he's not in the top ten, but he's in the top fifteen prospects in the Reds organization. And he's available. A guy who stole, hit 15 homers, stole 60 bases last year. A, a pretty rare power-speed combo. At the same time, there is some logical reason why he's available, which is, this is, again, we come back to the Latin player who doesn't move quickly. He becomes eligible at age 21. In Arias's case, he hasn't played above A-ball. He, his hit tool is, if, I mean, if you were putting a present grade on his hit tool, it's right. probably a 20. Right. Um, you know, it's the bottom of the scale. So you can see where the Reds say, okay, maybe we run the risk on this because really is someone going to be able to carry him all year? And if they do, is it not going to ruin him along the way? That being said, he's a guy who can play center field. Yep. He's he, tool. I mean, this he, is, he's, he's a gonna, legit prospect. He can, he can run, so he can pinch run for you. Well, what is and he can be a pinch hitter. Who, you know, we see if he hits a home, fastball, he may hit for a homer. Is he a 50 high or is he more like a 55 extreme kind of guy? I'd say at this point because or of fifty extreme. I, I would say fifty high. Okay. Um, and and the reason I would say fifty high, not fifty extreme, is because you can play center, he can steal bases, and he can hit for power. Like poor man's Drew Stubbs. Right. Right. And, but the thing about it is that you probably don't need to go extreme for that because the risk is probably not that much that he could be a fourth outfielder. The other guy, the other prospect on this team who's again very young. But I, I got some good buzz doing Cubs top 30 on Marco Hernandez. I'm glad you included him. I mean... He and, he and Gio Scaramaya, same team, second right. base on that team. Both are, are, are available. The thing is that Amaya is a little bit more uh, ready offensively, but that team struggled very badly defensively just as a whole. They had a middle infield of Hernandez and Amaya, both very consistent. And Amaya might not be able to handle even second base. You had Jaimar Candelario at third base, who... You know, at times the game speeds up on him. Doesn't have great first step quickness. 
you know, you get a very split on scouts who really think he can play third base or not. No one thinks he can be above average, but everyone thinks he can. You know, most people think he can be either fringe average or average at third base. Then you had Vogelbach at first, 20 defender. So he had a really bad, <laughs> he had a very bad defensive Pitchers infield. were not real happy. They weren't. It affected several of them. But so you have Marco Hernandez there. He's the guy who can make the spectacular play and really struggle to make the routine play at times. To me, the shortstop who is most likely to get Rule 5 here is the Ryan Jackson type or the guy who's the, the Adam Everett American shortstop who I kept on hearing that comparison during draft report cards. The guy who makes the routine play, has average range and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if they're – I'm trying to think if they're – Those guys never – those guys always get protected. I was going to say, I don't know if there is one of those guys. Those guys always get protected because they're reliable and managers and again, go to bat for them. If they can hit at all, like a Nick Ahmed type, those guys – that's who – he's the next one. Nick Ahmed is the new template for that. Those guys always get protected because you need a shortstop. Look at Pete Cosman. You need a shortstop who can make and, plays. And again, he didn't the, even make the plays. The risk reward on that is so slanted towards yeah. reward in that even if he's going to be a utility infielder for you, if you can find a quality utility infielder yep. who's going to make major league minimum for the next two years, win. But Marco Hernandez is a plus arm. He's he's got good infield actions. There's a lot of he's, and he's a better hitter. He's a yeah, better hitter correct. than the normal template of the defensive whiz class A shortstop who gets drafted. So the Cubs he's really more of going way back. Um, the first, the number one pick of the Brewers in 2002, Cruz. Um, Luis Cruz. Luis Cruz. Was it Luis? Well, it was a guy from the Mets organization. Yeah, the Mets organization it was Cruz and. He was a little bit more, a little bit more physical. Enrique, Enrique, Enrique Cruz. Cruz. He was That's a little was. more physical than uh, than Marco Hernandez. So, so you say number one overall pick? You meant Rule Five Draft? Yes. So it took me a minute to think about that. No, I was talking 2002. I was right. You were first. It was my first year. My first Rule Five Draft in Baseball in America. <laughs> wow. And that that <laughs> Rule Five. Buddy Hernandez. I remember okay, that, that was one a, well. that was a productive Rule Five. Let's just go down to 2002. A little memory lane Rule Five Draft. Enrique Rule Cruz five. and Hector Luna, who stuck around for a while. Buddy Hernandez, now an area scout in Florida for the Braves, never returns my phone calls. Tony DeMacio, take note. Will Ledesma, already discussed. Derek Thompson, feels like he was around forever. DJ Carrasco, he stuck around in the big leagues for a long time. Matt Roney, eh. okay. Victor here, Hall, here it comes. Eh. Here it comes. all time. Here. Number one personal cheese ball of all time, Marshall freaking McDougal. Six home runs. Houston Street's a little hurt by that. I'm sorry, Houston, but get in line behind Marshall McDougal. All-time fave. All-time. Uh, Aquilino Lopez was in the big leagues for a while. And Javier Lopez, the left-hander, who just signed another free agent contract. Luis Ayala. Luis Ayala. This was a great Shane rule Shane Victorino. Five. Ronnie Paulino. Uh, th- this was a great rule five. I know uh, Shane Victorino did not. Mike New at 16, I believe, is... He's either a college coach or he might be the junior college coach at Sac City right now. Gary Majewski? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Gary Majewski was in the big leagues for a while. Jason uh, Dubois. Jason Dubois is now a hitting coach. I see uh, he's a friend of Bill Mitchell's down in, uh, down in uh, Arizona. So that 2002 draft, that's back when, you know, there was a one less year protection. One less year makes a big difference because one less year means with the high school players, really what it meant is that you were getting them – they they were just touching double A a lot. Yeah, of times. that was a great that was a great Rule Five draft in the history of Rule Five drafts. Lower ceiling, but for 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 for, for, for death. Yes, that right. was a great. Usually, rule when five. you say a great Rule Five draft, what you're talking about is 2000. Was it? You're talking 1998 with uh, or 99 with Johan Santana. That's yeah, what you're talking that, about. and you say, you know what? We don't care what the rest of it was. Exactly. It's Joaquin Soria. See, and that was the Rule Five where Victorino didn't even stick because right. he got Rule Five again. In 2004, and I think that's the one where he stuck with the Phillies. In fact, because it was a second time getting Rule 5, they could, if he did make the team, they could stash him in AAA. They didn't have to keep him. I think if they didn't keep him, they didn't have to offer him back to his old team. He just became a minor, a free agent, and they signed him to a AAA contract. He was International League Player of the Year that year, and the rest has, been, has become history. So, And then Tony Blanco, the last pick of that year, almost won the Japan Triple Crown this year. So. Blanco. Blanco. <laughs> JJ, we have we have gone all over the board on the Rule Five draft, but the Rule Five does tend to be a tangent kind of draft. I mean, but there is the the greatest that right there. You, you, you John is just in in scrolling, come across two thousand and two thousand six. Two thousand six. That is the the best Rule Five draft 
Yeah, Soria 2, Josh Hamilton 3. Alfredo Simone. And Jesus, Jesus Flores. Flores. But yeah, they don't really... They but, don't no, my but, but you don't have to after that. I mean... Correct. You, you really don't. After that, you, it just it's all downhill. That was that was the one being... I, I forget where we were, where the winter meetings were that year, but I remember covering that with Chris Klein. And the, when Josh Hamilton got drafted, there was an audible gasp in the room. It was awesome. That was, We'll never top that for just drama of a Rule 5 draft because when they said Cincinnati Reds, I mean, not Cincinnati, it was the Chicago Cubs, select Josh Hamilton, and everybody went, wow. It was really cool. By the way, I mean, in hindsight, and I know you know it's a little harder to remember now because he had just had a really bad year, but man, they 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 basically, the Reds acquired Josh Hamilton for as free talent. Yeah. And then turned around a year later and traded him away for Edison Volquez. That, that doesn't look so good in hindsight. It doesn't. It doesn't look so good in hindsight. JJ, uh, is there any other any last any last words? Well, well oh, this is not our last rule. Don't worry, fans. We will talk <laughs> rule five again on the podcast at some point. Probably live from Orlando, well, not live, but probably from Orlando uh, when we uh, when we're covering the winter meetings there. There was a third subject we were going to talk about the Arizona Fall League, but it seems like we're out of time. Yeah, I, it might have to be a separate podcast. That, that may be a separate podcast. We've already done an hour on this, pretty much. So yeah, we'll we'll end with rule five now. We'll still put a bow on AFL sometime soon. And uh, we got NL Central coming in a separate podcast. Subscribers have an, an Arizona Fall League top 20, which ended up being 32 guys because Bill Mitchell has mad AFL passion. He has AFL passion. You know, I guess the thing is that when you drop in, you, you love the AFL, but, you know, okay, you can come in you can leave. When you're there and you live it every day for six weeks, like Bill, and you're not playing every day, like the players who who already played six months and are all exhausted, I think Bill eats that stuff up but, but more than anybody. You said that, remember, Bill, I mean, Bill's got that. Bill carries that passion from and Bill has a, training. And Bill has a real job too. The AFL. Bill has a real day job too, which is amazing. So. And I mean, so you know, he carries that passion through as long a baseball season as you can have in the U.S. And we love that passion, and that's why uh, that's why Bill's become a great contributor over the years here at Baseball America. So, speaking of great contributors, love the Rule Five passion from you, JJ. I just love it. I love not having to be involved with it too much, and I really enjoyed. Uh, you're over the top, Rule 5 this week. It was awesome. Hey, hey, you know, it's fun to do. It's been fun, you know, kind of hearing uh, from from fans and, you know, good, you know, and a couple, you know, people in the game like, hey, yep. you, know, I, you know, I'm enjoying this. So It is, and it will continue. we got a couple more weeks of it. So we'll come back on the next podcast with, we'll see if we might want to, might want to wrap up the Fall League and also talk National League Central top prospects. So for J.J. Cooper, at J.J. Coop 36. Surprised that hasn't changed to at J.J. Coop Rule 5. I'm at John Manuel BA. We'll see you on the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.